This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox and in just a few moments, Sherry McMillan returns to our show with news of another Vancouver seminar and lots more valuable information on estate planning. In our second hour today, criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee returns to take your calls and talk about Canada's new impaired driving laws. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And stories like this are, well, never welcome news. Nissan announced this week it's about to lay off 12,500 workers or about 9% of its global workforce in order to cut costs and get profits flowing again. Nissan will also cut global production by 10% and reduce model options by 10% over the next three years. A big part of Nissan's problem right now is brand image. The Japanese automaker is struggling to fix its image and get growth going again following the arrest of former chairman Carlos Gosen. Gosen's says he's innocent and he's awaiting trial in Japan on various financial misconduct allegations. Combine that with the numbers of, well, lower numbers like those that have just been published in terms of sales and you can see why the car maker is in trouble. For the fiscal year that just ended in March, annual profit dropped to less than half of what Nissan earned in the previous year, the worst showing since the global financial crisis a decade ago. Well, this story popped a few eyes this week. Global cigarette makers, Imperial Brands, have signed a deal with the Canadian company Oxley Cannabis Group that includes a research and development partnership and gives the Vancouver firm the global license to the British tobacco giant's vaping technology. The additional capital will fuel Oxley's plans to roll out next-generation cannabis products such as vapes when legalized later this year. Imperial is the latest consumer packaged good companies to move into pot in a bid to diversify their offerings as, well, consumer preferences continue to shift. The deal with Imperial was the culmination of six months of discussions. In addition to the funds and technology licenses, Oxley Cannabis will get access to Imperial's Nerudia Vapor Innovation business and become Imperial's exclusive global partner for future cannabis products. The deal is expected to close in the third quarter, subject to approval from the TSX Venture Exchange. Down the road in Seattle and Chicago, Boeing CEO says the company will consider temporarily suspending production of the 737 MAX if the plane doesn't return to flying this fall. The comment comes as Boeing reports a second quarter loss of nearly $3 billion because of a $4.9 billion accounting charge related to the plane. The MAX has been grounded worldwide since March after deadly accidents in Indonesia and Ethiopia. WestJet, for example, has extended its grounding of 737 MAX jets until at least the end of August, a move many other airlines have made as well. Not looking good for Boeing these days. Facebook says it's under antitrust investigation by the Federal Trade Commission. The company made the announcement just hours after the agency slapped it with a record $5 billion fine and new oversight on its privacy practices. Facebook said it was informed of the FTC's antitrust investigation in June 
But on Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Justice also announced a broad antitrust probe of technology companies. Through the, although the agency didn't name any companies, antitrust concerns have long swirled around Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. Facebook also faces various probes here in Canada and in Europe as well as regulators seek to crack down on the growing power of U.S. technology companies. And planning to go to the fireworks tonight, TransLink advised take the train or use other transit options to get downtown. All SkyTrain lines, Expo, Millennium, and Canada line will be running rush hour schedules as of mid-afternoon. Shuttle buses will run from Burrard and Yaletown stations to English Bay from 7 o'clock until fireworks. And then shuttle return service will kick in. The West Coast Express will one run rather one train from Mission starting at 7, returning at midnight. And of course, if you insist on driving, please be ready for street closures throughout the West End. Some already in place. Most of the rest of them kick in at 7 o'clock. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. Sterling Fox with you, joined by Sherry McMillan, CEO of McMillan Estate Planning. And there's another seminar coming up in September to talk about. Sherry, welcome back. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you, Sterling. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about is another seminar coming up in early September on the 5th, Thursday, September 5th. It'll be at 7 o'clock at the Marriott Pinnacle Downtown Hotel, the scene of all of your presentations for McMillan Estate Planning, Sherry. Thursday, September 5th this time, so we'll be into, well, pretty much the fall cycle. I hate to talk about this, and we're still in July, but the reality is at that presentation, you're going to talk about planning as state planning and particularly tax planning and the date will matter because by september some of us many of us hopefully will start to consider tax realities as we look towards the end of the calendar year not going to get you to give away the whole presentation obviously but can you give us a few hints about where you're going to go with this Certainly, Sterling. I mean, it's a pressing matter for all of us right now in Canada because of the increase in tax we've had with the last change in government Mm -hmm. with the Trudeau. And, you know, an increase of 10% tax is not a small increase for all of us. And so we're all feeling it. That's the reality. Everybody, when they wrote their uh, checks for their tax seasons more recently, went, oh, this is very different than it was historically. The great part is, um, since the 1980s, we've been using tax planning and tax strategies uh, to have families' estates grow tax efficiently, and now we just need to use it more than we ever have before because of this pressing matter. Now, it takes us a couple months to get these things in play is the challenge, so we have to do it proactively. We can't, you know, start this work in December and think we'll have it done by January 1st. Aha, Okay. And so what we always say is we need a good solid quarter of a year to get things, you know, going. And so we generally find our office gets exceptionally busy when everybody comes back from the summer. Sure. And then says, "Uh oh, you know, January is coming. I want to be proactive. I don't want to forego and give up this extra money in taxation when I don't need to. And so what we encourage families to do is to come to that presentation to get a good handle on what they can proactively do so that they're following April is a little kinder to them than perhaps than this the past previous April, has April been. was. Yes, I took a bit of a pinch <laughs> myself, and I'm not, I wasn't very happy about it. You know, of course, there there is another alternative to all of this, and that's next month's election. We could per- perhaps reverse this tax scenario by reversing the fortunes of the, one of the opposition parties, but there are no guarantees behind that. And if you're looking at estate planning, you want something a little more locked in and solid than hoping somebody else is going to win the next election, don't you? 
Well, we certainly are all, I think, having fingers crossed in this way, especially out west. Um, however, what I will say is this. Even if we are fortunate enough to have some repeal of some of this increase, the fact is it won't help us for this year. Right. It will start to help us the following year. So we still all need to address you know, our issues that we're going to have in this particular taxation year. The other thing to think about, and it was really uh, quietly pushed under the rug in my observation as uh, an estate planner, is when they increased the overall taxation on an annualized basis, what nobody mentioned was this. It means your estate taxation just increased by 10% too. So let's say you had a cottage that you owed $300,000 a tax on and a million dollars of value. You owe four hundred now, and if you haven't planned for it, you're going to have a problem because that's not a small increase. Not at all. That's a pretty substantial one. Mm-hmm. And so it was overlooked when all of these particular uh, tax increases came into play. Nobody talked about the impact. And we have the baby boom right now and their parents who are passing. And this is going to have a dramatic impact on that wealth as it transfers if it's not proactively designed. Now, thankfully, if we're proactive, we can circumvent a lot of it. But it's really fundamentally important that we actually do put in plans in place so that this doesn't, you know, hammer us in a particular way that we didn't expect. Now, you talk about some some unpleasant tax increases that every person in the nation is facing this year, like it or not. But there are those who have spent some time on estate planning. And Sherry, talk about the difference between having an estate plan, a game plan at play uh, to avoid tax versus just trying to wing it. Sure. Well, one of the beautiful um, opportunities that we have, and this applies to all of us in Canada, not just our business owners. I'll come to that as a second opportunity. Okay. But let, let's assume all of us have utilized our RSP and our tax-free savings accounts to the maximum amounts that we're able. Um, well, then what happens after that is our estate continues to grow on a taxable basis. That's what the general premise is if you haven't done estate planning. So that's just what we all accept as the norm. The reality is, though, in Canada, there's a special provision in the Income Tax Act that says up to 25% of your net worth, and that includes everything, your home, your RSPs, everything you own, um, can actually grow tax-exempt for the purposes of planning your estate. So that means if you have a million dollars, 250000 of it can grow tax-free. But most people don't even know they have this opportunity. And I it's agree. called the maximum tax range, and all of us are entitled to it. And so that's the first step we take in everyone's estate is can we have some of this start to grow without paying tax on it? And that will help the other 75% you have paying tax on have a lower tax table attached to it because there's less there growing in the high tax table. That's true. And so it's a really beneficial way um, to plan an estate. Now, there's also another trick of the trade that we use. And most of us assume that when we're elderly and we have to start to draw down our RRSPs and they become RIFs. That's right. And we've got to pay pay the highest rate of tax. At age 70, right? Age 71 is when that transitions for us. All right. Well, if we've done some tax planning and tax exemption planning, we can actually draw that RRSP out or RIF out without paying tax. And so a lot of people don't know that, and so they just pay this tax annually and give it away. And so this is another double whammy that we can use this kind of proactive planning for. And so you can see how it really starts to compound. 
Now, the one other area, a third area that's so wonderful for us in Canada is a technique. We call it a state freeze. But in English, all it means is we lock out Canada Revenue Agency from being entitled to the future growth of your state. Oh, okay. You have my undivided attention now. So let's say you have a cottage. Do you really want to pay them a large portion of the growth of that cottage in BC if you don't have to? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So let's lock them out and we can do that. It's a really wonderful opportunity. So the ways we do that lockout, we'll often do it on the family cottage because that's the one that has a lot of appreciation usually. And then family businesses because they often have great appreciation. And if mom and dad are using that business for retirement, um, income stream, and then they just let it continue to grow and grow and grow. When they pass on, we have a massive tax burden attached to that business, but we didn't have to. And so these are the kinds of opportunities all of us have in Canada. We're really fortunate, actually, because I do practice, obviously, in the United States and abroad in Europe and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, many countries don't have these privileges. And when I explained to, you know, people in other jurisdictions that we have these opportunities, they said, well, we should move to Canada. Um, and yet we're here, sitting right here in Canada and we're often uh, missing these wonderful opportunities to design our estates effectively for our families. No kidding. And I've said this to many times during our conversations. They're always so much fun, too. But the truth of the matter is these tax exceptions are 100 percent perfectly legal. The other truth is, as you mentioned already moments ago, very, very few of us even know these loopholes or provisions exist. It is not the duty of the revenue agency to educate us about their loopholes. They have them, but they're not going to waste any of their time teaching us about them. That's our job. But because we don't know, so many of us don't even know they exist, Sherry, I mean, there a, a lot of opportunity is simply passing us by. Well, one of the challenges is our field is new. And so, you know, historically what we would do is we would go to our lawyer. Our lawyer would write up our will. We'd go to our accountant and our accountant would file our tax returns at the end of the year. Sure. The problem is that's not being proactive. That's being what we call reactive. Sure. Doing your duty. Yeah. So who's telling us, hey, did you know you could do it this way so you don't even have to do that? No, nobody. And so you're right. Canada Revenue Agency is not in the business of doing estate planning so you can minimize and mitigate taxes. That's right. (laughs) And so our field has actually become a specialty. And we are designated as what is called trust and estate practitioners. So our accountants and lawyers are what we call strategic. They actually don't do reactive work. They don't just write wills and they don't file tax returns. Alternatively, what they do is look into the future and say, how can we design this game of monopoly this family has the most effective way possible? So calendar year over calendar year, they keep the most of it they possibly can. And so there are two different fields, and I don't think our community at large understands that. We have what we call reactive accounting in law and proactive and strategic. It's a very small group. In Canada, there's only about 700 of us. So unless you're working with an estate planning firm, you're probably going to not understand or even have these opportunities introduced to you. And no fault of the professionals you're working with, but that's not their field is the challenge. Mm -hmm. And so trust and estate practitioners are, uh, that's what we're, that's what we should be looking for in terms of designations, professional designations of people who claim to be in the estate planning business. That's right. And so we, you know, we make 
gist of this, but we're like the cardiologist in the area of heart. We're not the generalist. We we don't focus. We would never help somebody get a divorce. Mm-hmm, yeah, sure. <laughs> we would not know how to do that. <laughs> Our whole focus is how can we design your estate to keep the most of it we possibly can in your genes year over year, and how can we make sure your wishes are met, and how can we safeguard it as we transfer it to the next generation. And so that's where we spend all our energy in learning um, new legislations and continuing education for our professionals. And again, the body is quite small, but thankfully we're international. We actually were originally based out of England where they have the longest history of generational wealth transfer. And we learn from them. We lean a lot upon their precedents, actually. And we beg, borrow and steal from their wisdom and carry on into Canada here. Interesting. You know, the, you said there were about 700 of you in Canada, of you trust and estate practitioners. That's a fewer number than insolvency trustees in Canada. There are only about 1,300 of them, and there's about half that number who are trust and estate practitioners. There's a very small group of people able to provide the kind of information and detail that are so essential to so many people. So how do we find out? Now, we're lucky. We're listening to the radio and find out about Macmillan Estate Planning, and you and all of your team are trust and estate uh, practitioners, Sherry. But uh, aside from that, how does how does the uh, John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public come to know about these things? Well, one thing I would advise our listeners to go to is a fantastic website. It's based out of England. It's called the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioning. Okay, and it's abbreviated as STEP. And it has oodles of information. No matter what jurisdiction you live in, it has a directory of all the professionals that work in our field. And we rely upon one another. We don't actually view each other as competition whatsoever. There's so you know, few I'll, of you, right? There's so few of us. So I'll lean upon somebody that's in Hawaii and say, okay, I've got the situation. How do I resolve it uh, with this child that's difficult? Or, you know, I've got a, a particular property in Spain they inherited from their grandparent. How does that correlate to how it will impact their BC estate? And so we really do work as a team on behalf of families to make sure that we're playing that game of Monopoly properly so that we don't forget something or um, sideline something that's really important to that family. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined by Sherry McMillan, the CEO of McMillan Estate Planning, who's coming back to Vancouver to conduct another seminar personally. This one will be on Thursday, September 5th, and once again it will take place at the Marriott Pinnacle Downtown Hotel on Hastings at Thurlow, 7 o'clock, Thursday, September 5th. And Sherry, there is, of course, no charge for this. You will be uh, giving a formal presentation after a little bit of wine and cheese and then you'll open up the floor to questions and answers and all that sort of thing afterwards. The only request you have of our listeners is, if you're considering coming to the seminar, and we'd love you to show up on Thursday, September 5th, just pop over to our website and give us a clue that you might be coming so we can have, well, enough goodies for you and your guests. And that's about as serious as it gets in terms of making arrangements, right? Absolutely. We do encourage families, however, Sterling, to bring their family members. So we do have often parents bring their children. Good. And the reason we do that, obviously, is one of our focuses is to keep harmony going in the family unit. And so it's really important that not necessarily are we discussing our estates with our children in numerics, but that we're discussing it in a philosophical way. So, you know, if you expect one child to be your carer, then you know, do they get compensated for that? Is Mm -hmm. that a family discussion? Because you don't want to leave those things unsaid. 
because they are the things that cause disharmony in a family, those real sensitive situations. And those and so are we, the things we don't like to talk about. So a lot of us are, are okay with it being unsaid. And then, of course, because nothing was said, then your push comes to shove and you got a problem on your hands. That's right. And so we love it when families will come as a family unit to our presentations because we basically educate the parent group and the children group why they should have these kinds of intimate discussions. And we give them uh, opportunity to write down the different ideas that we'll share with them based on other case studies that we have. And so they can beg, borrow, and steal anything that's helpful that we're going to share. But also it neutralizes the conversation. Nobody's um, asking to have the conversation. We are having it for the family unit. Sure. And saying these are the things you must talk about. Um, in order to keep that harmony and peace afield in the family unit. Sherry, can and we the, can we zoom in on an example uh, by way of describing how this dynamic works? For example, mom and dad have have built a business. They've they've built it up, and it's a wonderful enterprise. They have a few kids. They hope that uh, one or more of the children would like to succeed them and follow along and take over the business and keep the family name alive. The usual stuff, you know, so and so and sons, that kind of thing. And it turns out that not one kid, not one. One of them is even remotely interested in carrying on the family business. It's just not their cup of tea. So that's a kind of an awkward conversation to have, especially because mom and dad want it to happen so much, and it apparently isn't going to. There's a big gap to bridge, but that's what you do. It is what we do, and we actually have on staff psychologists and family counselors, Sterling, because we have to broach these serious conversations and complications that can cause complete family breakdown and disharmony. And they're important. So, you know, I share an actual case study that I had the blessing of working on in the last few years, and it was that kind of situation. We had a family business that had been going concerned for over 40 years. They had a daughter working in the business, and the son had gone to Toronto and completed his MBA, but he wasn't living uh, locally here in Vancouver. And so... One of the questions we always pose to the children in designing an estate plan is, we are designing the estate plan for your parents. We don't know we can give this consideration or not, but is there anything sentimental to you about the estate plan that you would care for us to know? And so we're not talking about numbers. We're talking about philosophy. Okay. And interestingly, the daughter said, yes, there is. Um, she was working in the family business as the, the secretary, and she said, I'd like to inherit a family poem my mom had written when I was a little girl because I'd like to pass it on to my children, and we read it at Christmas. And so he said, okay, well, we will bring that forward to your parents and see if they're willing. And I said, what about the family business? Because I know you're working there. And she said, I hate the family business. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't work there because I like it. I work there so I can visit dad. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. Um, now we... We did the same interview process with the son, and this is what his reaction was. Well, of course, what's sentimental to me is I have to inherit the family business. It's our family name. I took my MBA. I've been preparing all these years in other businesses, so I'd have a good business acumen, and it wouldn't be nepotism, and then I could come in and take on the business. And I said, have you ever had this discussion with your mom and dad? Well, no, I just assume they know that. Wow. Why would I have done all this education? I just assumed. Uh-oh. I just assumed. So I went back to the parent group and I said, look, we have a bit of a dilemma here because you're wanting to transfer the business to your daughter who doesn't even like the business whatsoever. And you have a son more than willing and you were going to give him cash and we would offend him. So what has come of this, this kind of conversation is the son has relocated from Toronto out here to Vancouver. And he's been running the business the last five calendar years. 
His father has had the privilege of partially retiring now because of it. And his sister's still mad at me because she now goes to visit her brother instead of her father at the business. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she doesn't you know, have to work a, there anymore, does she? That's right. And she gets the family poem. And, you know, I share that as an example of conversation. They weren't easy conversations, but the outcome is so much better because we had these conversations. Right. And we would have built the wrong estate plan. Not the right one, the wrong one in that situation. And we would have caused a great deal of disharmony. There's no question. And so that's why these kinds of conversations are fundamental um, in going about your design. So first, you know, we need to go mom and dad's goals. We also need to have a bit of an understanding of the expectations of the family members that are going to inherit. Because if we don't understand that, we will mess up the plan. And if we want a fighting chance, we need to know their position. It doesn't mean we can always fulfill it, but at least if we have a fighting chance of knowing what that expectation is, there's often some creativity that can come into play. Instead of paying lawyers to fight over this estate, we can pay a counselor an hour or two here or there, or we can just come up with a new creative design to solve the problem, and then we won't have these issues arise in the future. Right, and and one of the things that you've mentioned in previous visits with us, Sherry, is the the unknowns, the X factor, if you will. For example, going back to your model of the mom and dad and, and the daughter and the son, the son eventually, uh, who assumed mom and dad understood completely he wanted to take care of the business and didn't say word one to them ever. Uh, fortunately, that all worked out. But, you know, it doesn't always work out. And then there's the, the X factor. Suppose now he married someone. And then uh, the, would that in new person in, in the mix have any claim on the estate or the future of the business organization? These, these are, are, are things that can be covered off in an effective state and a state plan, correct? Well, they must be because the reality is business owners are often reliant upon that lifestyle that the business creates for them, the income that that business creates. Sure. So if you're transferring to the next generation and you're relying on the business to succeed and, you know, have value from it, you can't just gift that business to your child who then may go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. That That's a disaster. You've ruined your own retirement plan. So the alternative way we do it is we don't use will planning in the traditional sense of the word. We use estate planning and trust to build in family protection because we're protecting many generations. We're not just protecting one. We're protecting mom and dad through both lifespans, then the children through their lifespans, and then often into the hands of the grandchildren. And so we can't leave this up to hopefulness. Um, especially when your lifestyle is based upon it. So certainly estate planning has become a very necessary design that we all need. And, you know, we always think about a retirement planning, but estate planning protects your retirement planning you did. You can do the best retirement planning you ever wanted, but if you lose it to legal issues, you didn't have a retirement plan. Ah, okay. Now you talked about uncomfortable conversations, awkward moments that really need to be uh, as awkward as they they have to be in order to get over that and get into the dialogue that maybe should have started years ago. Nonetheless, here we are and it's time to talk. Uh, At at those moments, uh, and I'm talking about as as you describe the the estate plan and, for example, the future of the business and, and the way it's going to be structured going forward and so on. So you have to have these conversations conversations with your potential successors. But uh, my question to you is regarding the will portion of the estate plan. Is it a good idea in advance to discuss the details of your 
inheritance plan for your for your beneficiaries, or is that something that is as a whole other and more personal matter that shouldn't be discussed as as part of those awkward conversations? No, I certainly feel strongly about the fact that we should explore the plans we design openly with the people that are going to take responsibility to employ the plan. And also for those children that will be benefited in particular ways because we want it to be coming from the authority of the parents, not the siblings. Right. They're on equal playing field. And the moment they start to tell their siblings how it's going to be, we have just opened Pandora's box for Mm -hmm. disharmony. Instead, mom and dad need to own their decisions and not abdicate them and say, this is what we've decided the estate plan is going to be, and we're going to lay it out this way. And then what we normally do is we say, we've laid it out this way. If you have conflict with it, come to the estate planner, not mom and dad, to keep it neutral and relay your issues that you're seeing with it. And we'll bring those back to mom and dad and see if we can find a co-creative to find solutions for all of us that everybody can live with. And so it neutralizes that dynamic. And we do that on purpose because at the end of the day, it's still mom and dad's decision. Sure, yeah. But mom and dad always want the children to be happy. That's what a mom and dad are. (laughs) So, you know, it's just about getting that dialogue going but not jeopardizing the Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving, making McMillan be the bad guy. (laughs) And so we're happy to do that for the family unit and to diffuse and find good solutions that families can employ so they keep those Christmas dinners happy. Last time we talked uh, six weeks or so ago, we talked about designations, professional designations for people in your business and trust and estate practitioners are what you're looking for. Talk to us a little bit about your team at McMillan Estate Planning. We know you have lawyers and accountants and, and various other professionals, but they're all trust and estate practitioners. Tell us how that works. Sure. Well, I feel that there are two fields going on simultaneously in every country. We have what we call reactive law and reactive tax, meaning people who react. So you have your annual tax re- return filed, but you're you're doing that after it's happened. Yeah. It's not proactive thinking. It's, oh, that's happened, now let's file. A will is also uh, reactive. You know, you die, this is what you use as the document. Right. There's a whole other group out there in the community called strategists, and they are strategic lawyers and accountants. And what their role in the community is not to do reactive work at all, but rather to be looking forward into the future of how do we mitigate the tax you don't have to pay each year so it compounds over time? How do we make sure there's an appropriate and efficient flow of your asset base to your loved ones? And so this type of group is actually small in comparison. I would say they're less than 5% of the professionals out there in the community at large. So most lawyers, most accountants are reactive. And only a handful are strategic. And in the arena of estate planning, that is the kind of group you want to employ. You want to employ the strategic planners that aren't filing the tax return each year, but alternatively looking at how do we use the Income Tax Act to your advantage to mitigate tax each year in advance of it happening. Interesting stuff. Sherry McMillan and the team at McMillan Estate Planning assemble for another seminar, friends, on Thursday, September 5th. This one, it will be at 7 o'clock at the Marriott Pinnacle Downtown Hotel, which is right in the same neighborhood as McMillan Estate Planning's new Vancouver office, which is at 1021 West Hastings. The Marriott Pinnacle Hotel Downtown is at Hastings and Thurlow. Close by or what? Thursday, September 5th is a seminar. The uh, will be conducted by 
by Sherry McMillan herself. Uh, and all you need to do to indicate that you'd like to show up is pop over to the website and let them know so they can be well-equipped with wine and cheese and other good stuff for you and your friends who attend. And that, again, is coming up on Thursday, September 5th, 7 o'clock at the Marriott Pinnacle Downtown Hotel. Lots of opportunities to ask questions. And as Sherry has indicated, bring the family with you. If it's an estate plan and you've got the estate gang together, bring them all along, Sherry. Put them all together in the same room and at least get a taste of what's what lies ahead, the good work that lies ahead. Thank you for this. Thank you, Sterling. Once again, our thanks to Sherry McMillan for another very helpful visit. Coming up in our next hour is criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee, who will talk about our new impaired driving laws and take your calls, too. Time right now for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at the rising popularity of illegal e-scooters. Thanks, Sterling. Electric scooters have become a popular way to get around, and more companies allowing people to share those scooters are popping up around BC. There's just one problem. The devices are technically illegal outside private property under BC law. Under the Motor Vehicle Act, certain devices like e-scooters, hoverboards, and electric skateboards are not allowed on public roads. Still, hundreds of e-scooters can be found in Vancouver alone, and their popularity among young people in particular is increasing. Olivia Yao with Urban Machina sells electric scooters in the city and says the company has seen an increase of 30% over the past year. For others that, you know, might have a little bit of difficulty walking, but they don't need an actual mobility scooter, so this serves as something in between. And then some just want to have fun. <laughs> they can be used on private property, so if somebody has one, they're allowed to own them, but they're not insurable, they're not allowed on city streets, not allowed on bike lanes, not allowed on the seawall. But Constable Steve Addison with the Vancouver Police Department says you can be fined $598 under the Motor Vehicle Act for having no insurance. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. The dream of one day gliding up Burnaby Mountain in a gondola is a step closer to reality thanks to a unanimous vote of the Mayor's Council on Regional Transportation. Metro Vancouver's mayors advanced the planning process for this proposed project this week. It will now go to public consultation and TransLink staff will start, will start rather trying to secure funding from senior levels of government. Now, fans of this gondola say it would reduce travel time, increase ridership and actually have a higher capacity than buses. TransLink staff will study three potential routes. One of them, the direct route, could be built for an estimated $197 million and would have a lower operating cost than the current 145 bus service. While there are no plans to build the gondola in the mayor's 10-year vision passed a few years ago, it could still be eligible for a federal green infrastructure fund, unlike other proposed transit projects. Projects in our region. Burnaby Mayor Mike Hurley says the gondola could be built as early as four or five years from now. Volvo is recalling 
almost half a million cars worldwide because of a faulty engine component that may, in extreme cases, cause a vehicle to catch fire. The Swedish car maker said Monday the affected cars are two-liter, four-cylinder diesel engines manufactured between 2014 and 2019 in several models. These are diesel engines only. Volvo said the engine inlet manifold is made of plastic and could melt due to temperature changes, and the company has noticed in its investigation that it has led to a car fire in a few cases. There have been no reports of injuries or accidents linked to the fault. Volvo Cars has been owned by China's Jiangili Holding Group since 2010. And with all the hoopla surrounding this evening's fireworks show, we should also take a moment to remind you of the Richmond Maritime Festival in Steveston. This year, in addition to all the family fun stuff, the food, the musicians, all the good stuff, the Richmond Maritime Festival will feature a high seas adventure, the sunset battle of the tall ships, featuring booming cannons, close quarters maneuvers, and a taste of 18th century life aboard tall ships. Visitors will experience the ships in actions as they vie to win the contest between Richmond's own Providence and the dreaded Lady Washington from points afar. The big show, the tall ship spectacle, happens between 6 and 9 p.m. tonight and again tomorrow night. So yes, you can go to the fireworks tonight and still catch the tall ship show in Richmond tomorrow night. Best viewing, Gary Point Park in Steveston. That is our first hour of Vancouver Consumer for a Saturday afternoon. Criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee is on deck and she will join us right after global news to three o'clock. This is Vancouver Consumer and you're listening to CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.